Welcome to the Olmstead Salon podcast. My name is Dusty Brown and I am the host of the Olmstead Salon, where the arts and culture outreach of Calvary St. George's Church in New York City. Now this past April, St. George's once again hosted the Mockingbird Conference. And this year, the Olmstead Salon partnered with Mockingbird to put on the first ever Episco Disco, an evening with J-A-Z, or jazz, or also known as the Reverend John Zoll. Uh, before this amazing Episco Disco, which I, I really hope becomes an annual thing, if you missed it, you have to get out to New York uh, next year to check it out. But before the Episco Disco, I was able to sit down with John and talk a little bit about what it's like being a DJ and a priest uh, and sort of collecting this obscure music that, that he's into, um, how this sort of chemistry experiment happens and, uh, and, and the greater implications of that on his ministry. Um, this is the Reverend John Zoll. Olmstead Salon, and um, the Olmstead Salon is the Arts and Culture Outreach for Calvary St. George's Church, where we are right now. Uh, we're very uh, excited and honored to have um, the Reverend John Zoll, who is uh, who's one of the pillars of this of this whole uh, institution, um, here with us. Uh, John is a priest, and um, in South Carolina. And he is also a, a, a very renowned DJ. Is that the right word, DJ? Renowned's not the right word, but DJ is. The right <laughs> <word>. <laughs> He's a respected uh, DJ. And uh, we're, what we're gonna do, uh, just so you guys know kind of what to expect, we're gonna have a little conversation about what it is that he does, what the crossover is, if there's crossover, what that kind of means to him and also to his audience, uh, who's us. And, and then we're gonna have an Episco Disco. Uh, we're going to party, we're going to dance, and we're going to have a good time. So I'm going to sit down, and um, I guess this will be awesome. It's a party environment, so just kind of, we can we can tune into this, and we can just, that's like, I don't know if you've ever uh, been hypnotized, but I've been hypnotized worse, and they say, just tune out the background noise, and then I start barking like a chicken. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so John, I guess my, my first question for you, um, now you're a priest, and uh, I, you know, in, in any kind, I've been, I've been to church services, uh, and I've also been to dance clubs, and there seems to be crossover, there seems to be like, some people say, I've had an, a religious experience on the dance floor, uh, and so my question would, to you is, how, A, how did you kind of get into this, and uh, that crossover between dance and um, and and church is that something that's palpable to you, and is that is that part of your transition into this world? Mm. Uh, so um, I've always been really into music. I was a huge music nerd in high school and college. Maybe you know those kids always wearing band T-shirts. My band was The Cure when I was 14, and even going back further than that, when we lived in uh, New York and in Westchester, I used to. So it was past my bedtime, but I would get my parents to record Mr. Magic's Rap Attack for me on a cassette tape. And I was really into rap. Even in its early days, my father gave me uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five's first album. Right when it came out, The Message. It was a big deal here. And so I, uh, my parents were 
pretty cool. I mean, they were in New York City in 1977 <laughs> when I was born, and Donna Summer's hit I Feel Love came out the same month I was born. That's my disco horoscope. And, uh, <laughs> and my parents uh, would leave me with a babysitter. They, they went down the street to what's now Webster Hall. It was called The Ritz. Uh, they left me with a babysitter to see Frankie Goes to Hollywood play their first ever American concert. And then they came home, and I remember my dad playing uh, the Human League and uh, the Thompson Twins, uh, all this great synth pop, new wave kind of stuff at home. And so I was and living on the premises of Grace Church on 11th and Broadway, just down the street, and getting baptized there and going to church every Sunday with my mom pumping me full of lifesavers so I wouldn't erupt. Uh, <laughs> and so for me, the sort of world of kind of uh, music and especially sort of electronic music as it was just sort of really growing into a thing and rap too and uh, church were pretty closely interwoven. Mm. And I had a radio show in college, so fast forward, like the king of the mixtape. I, man, I mean, if, I, if my dating experience could have lived up to the quality of the mixtapes I gave to girls, uh, I would spend hours and hours. And, and, uh, and then I went to college, I had a radio show. My wife in South Carolina, when we moved there, bumped into a girl I went to college with named Mary. And Mary said, you're married to John? And she proceeded to tell, she said, my memory of John, he would walk into a party at college with a backpack on. And he would sit down, he'd go over to the stereo, he'd sit down, he'd open up a backpack, and it would just be full of towers of CDs. And I would just take over. And my nickname, it's a really gross name, I was called the Music Nazi. That was literally my name. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I was uh, very dictatorial and controlling and um, not all that tolerant of other people's music. Uh, so then uh, when I... Um, the big breakthrough came. I used to think I knew a lot about music. Mm -hmm. And then I met some people who really knew a lot about music. And I realized I didn't know much at all about music. And uh, I only had access to music that was on CD or tape. Uh, and there's so much music out there that's never been digitized or that was never put on CD that came out. Tons and tons. And think of how many records there are, you know? And uh, when I went to seminary, I bought turntables. And I spent all of my free time in seminary digging for obscure records in record stores in England and going into London in free evenings to hear some of these sort of famous DJs play. I met a DJ through a church connection who was also a Christian. He literally went by the name Disco Jesus. He was a very hip cat <laughs> in, in London. And uh, he was sort of like my gateway drug to the world of disco, which is a huge umbrella. And he would play me at his hip loft in Hoxton, like all of these incredible classic records, most of which had become really famous in New York City at two clubs, one called The Loft, which started in Soho in the mid to late 70s. And the DJ there was named David Mancuso. He's like a living dinosaur, the Bob Dylan of DJs. And, uh, and the other one was a guy named Larry Levan, who had a club nearby called Paradise Garage. And those two DJs had a canon of classic records that they really made famous. And um, turns out Mancuso grew up in an orphanage in, uh, uh, run by the Roman Catholic Church and had a very positive experience there. And when he opened his club, The Loft, which is still going uh, twice a year now in the Ukrainian Center, Valentine's Day, try to get in. But it's uh, the coolest thing you could possibly attend in sort of the, that old world. Um, and Mancuso 
the, the nun at the orphanage would fill the birthday party room with balloons on the ceiling. And so the loft, that was a very positive association and memory for him, he filled the ceiling of the loft with balloons. And to this day, it's famous for its balloons. And so these are just a little tribute to that positive church association that played a crucial role and definitive role. So I get to seminary, I start diving in, uh, and suddenly I know nothing about music again, which was really a great experience. Mm -hmm. It gave me fresh ears. I was just trying different things, just, I, you know, and I was really uh, also being exposed to all this great classic music, and it's a deep world. I started listening to music from 1977 to 19, basically at the time, it was like 82. Mm. And uh, I have been going down that rabbit hole for more than 10 years now, and yet to find the bottom. I pretty oh. much now, I, I listen to music all the way up to about 1986 now, but I've only been listening to music from 1977 and more like 1979, about 1985, exclusively yeah. for more than 10 years. Yeah. And uh, it's endlessly deep, as far as I can tell. Now, I've, I've, in some of the conversations that we've had with people, um, you know, as we've been talking about having this at a, at a, at a faith conference, um, we've, we've had conversations with, with folks who don't come from a church background, which is obviously something that um, at the Olmsted Salon and at Mockingbird both, that, that, that's, that's of high value, is making sure that we're, we're speaking to those folks who don't come from a church background. And some of those folks have said, I have a religious experience on the dance floor. Um, the, I, I don't really get religion or whatever. I don't like what you're saying is fine, but where I where I where I find that that kind of religious experience is on the dance floor. Um, what do you, as a priest, you're a priest. Um, what do you say to somebody like that? What is that? So right when I started sort of chasing this dragon and uh, kind of trying to find deeper, weirder, more obscure cuts for mixtapes and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, I uh, went to this club and I heard David Mancuso play this guy. And he played a record that's a classic loft record. I talked about this earlier today called yep. Stand on the Word. And it's by a choir from Crown Heights called the Jubair Singers. And uh, this became a famous anthem there. And I went to this party where, you know, I'm in seminary in Oxford and I take the bus in by myself on a Friday night. It's about 3 a.m. in the morning. I'm in this room of, you know, serious nightclub dancing types who are really into music and into this guy and appreciate that whole world. And um, he puts this record on. And immediately, everybody in the crowd, like, got incredibly excited because this is one of their favorite songs. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, I'm sitting there and I see an entire room full of dancers in hippest London singing every word with their hands in the air, stand on the word, the word of God, have faith in God and trust his word. And I mean, it was, and for me, it was a very powerful moment uh, because I thought, wow, everything that some Christians think about this is wrong. Yes. And simultaneously, much of the stuff that the people here think about the church <laughs> is wrong. It's also wrong. Right. And, and those lines are so blurry. Yeah. And uh, for me, um, that was sort of pivotal. Mm. Um, but what I saw in that moment was something that I personally related to as a Christian, which was people coming together and, you know, kind of trying to leave their burdens behind right. that had been bothering them all week 
and trying to come together for something bigger. It wasn't debaucherous. It wasn't a bunch of drunken people falling over and hooking up and all that. It was people coming together in music to have a corporate experience that they could not have at home by themselves. Right. And I think they would have said it was something transcendent. And I would say what I saw there, in fact, was very similar to yeah. what I think even the oldest churches and worship in the church is very, uh, you know, there are lots of parallels there yeah. and lots of the same motives driving it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think also some of the same fulfillment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing also, uh, like you, you had a breakout session today about uh, uh, this afternoon and you played some of this music, some of this music that you discovered that people had sent you. And, uh, and it was, it was, it was, what you called uh, oddball dance music um, from the 70s and the 80s. And the theology of it um, was all over the place. And uh, when we talk about theology, for those of you, uh, most, most people here, I think, understand what, what we mean when we talk about law and gospel. But for those of you who are not from a church background, uh, a simplified version of kind of talking about um, some uh, American Christian theology is there's one camp that, that says uh, your righteousness and your holiness you have to, you have to earn. There's another camp that's, that says uh, that this, this holiness and this righteousness and this peace is something that's completely given to you uh, in, in one-way love, in a one-way direction. And uh, Mockingbird and Calvary St. George's is of the latter camp, the grace camp. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that the music that you've discovered represents both camps. Yeah. Um, and so can you speak a little bit about how the, the, liter how the actual theology, uh, if, if that's something that's important as, you, as you're like, what, what, what's your take on that as you're kind of spinning those records? It's different levels. I mean, I grew up in an age when irony uh, was really appreciative right. and rising to the fore. And so some of my interest in, like, this is, all the stuff I played today was music that was made explicitly by Christians as Christian what, music. What were some of the names of? Uh, like, uh, MC Sweet. Right. And Pear Eric Hullen. And, um... There's like stuff I won't do. Elon Craig. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so there was one called the Rappin' Reverend, and the Rappin' Reverend has this song where he basically says it's like a rap, and it's actually a really cool song that Larry Levan played famously at the Paradise Garage, but uh, it it's um, basically a Baptist preacher saying, uh, "Look, Baptists are cool too. We can rap, uh, but but what I'm going to rap about, sort of because I'm a Baptist, is that." Uh, let me tell you about all the stuff I'm not into because I'm a Baptist. Right. And it's just like, it's just like, like how awesome is it that I don't do anything? Uh, you know, that's sort of the vibe. But, yeah. And so like in one sense, I don't at all identify with those sure. theological emphases. And to my way of thinking, like my ministry is totally different from the rap and reverence, yeah, I yeah. think. Uh, but at the same time, like, it's just so fun and cool, yeah. and I'm not an too hung up about it. There's something, and the fact that like Larry Levan played it and mm -hmm. wasn't bothered by it, you know. Um, but I would hate for somebody to be like, oh, he has the same exact theology as the rap and reverend. Yeah. Although maybe I would love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, you know, and, and so I mean, I played one called Nineveh Noose. That's like, where are you gonna go when God is tired of all your excuses? You know, it's like, whoa! But the keyboards in the song are so amazing that, uh, you know, and I, I sort of think that the production values override the bad theology, as is often the case, like, if, 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 you're, if you're talking to somebody, right, 
and they are loving toward you. Often um, they, they don't quite say the right thing, but if they're really in your corner, you can tell. You yeah. know, and like I have friends who I know who I call regularly and I go back to because they're always there for me. Yeah. You know, and, and they might not know exactly what to say or not be able to relate, but I call them because I trust them. Yeah. And that's how I feel about production values from the 1970s and 80s. Right. Is they usurp and have a larger value, especially when they're sort of. And then there is plenty of rap and Christian old music that has good theology. Yeah, so I, yeah. I, may, I make sure to draw attention to that. And the best theology, I think, is pretty much like mostly the more old-fashioned stuff. Yeah. And so uh, tonight, at the end of our talk, I'm going to play my favorite version of the Nicene Creed, just to make sure we're all on creedal solid ground uh, before we dive into this sacramental moment on this. Uh, right? you, you get the idea. So as far as I'm concerned, the, again, the line between church and a dance party is very blurry. Mm -hmm. And I think tonight we're going to blur those lines much more heavily and yeah. consciously, maybe, than has been done in New York City in a long time. Uh, hope you'll join me in that effort. Well, I think, that that's, yeah. uh, I think that's a wonderful place to, to kind of wrap it up. And um, what, yeah, John. So just tonight, right, um, normally like I, I play in a bar or whatever, and people roll in, they have conversations, they start drinking, they hang out, and it's like, Three hours into the set, people hopefully you know, will, will feel moved to start dancing. Tonight we're all psyched, we're cocked, we're ready. That's awesome. Um, so what I think, and, but also I don't want anybody to feel pressure to dance right. too, because that's the land. Uh, but what we're going to do is try to create a very comfortable, safe environment for everybody to have whatever experience you want to have. There's no right or wrong experience here at all. And that means we're going to have doors open, you can flow in and out if you want to go sit. Just do whatever you feel moved to do tonight. But to kick it off, what I'm going to play the Nicene Creed. And, uh, and, and, and then I would like anybody who's sitting in a chair to take your chair and move it to a wall where it's facing the dance floor so that we have seating all around the room where you can just sit and hang out and talk and scream, be a wallflower, watch, we're about to play some incredibly weird video mixes as well that you can sort of just focus on and... Um, just uh, have a good time, I hope. So, All right. so before, so just to reiterate, what we're gonna do is we're gonna stay, we're gonna stay in our seats for a minute. John's gonna play the Nicene Creed to kind of kick us off, <laughs> and then once that's finished, you take your chairs, put them to the side, and then we'll get this party started. Yep, and it's not dancey. The Nicene Creed, just really savor it. Really take in what the band Ela Craig in Austria were hired by the Roman Catholic Church to do. Uh, literally. Uh, and can I just uh, read to you from this one more time? This is sort of like my totem statement of what I think I'm doing here. Uh, this is a band, Ela Craig, a cosmic prog band from 1978. And according to this LP, during the last 200 years, church music and secular music have been enemies. We must be reminded that great composers of church music, such as Mozart, Hayden, Haydn, uh, Bach, and Schubert, also composed dance music and music for entertainment. For them, church music and secular music were not separate forms. That's what I'm saying tonight. And so uh, here is the Nicene Creed by Ela Craig. And unfortunately, that's where we have to stop um, because I don't have copyright uh, permissions. 
for for the Nicene Creed, uh, at least that version of it. Uh, I want to thank John Zoll so much for uh, for doing this. I thought it was a very enlightening conversation, and the talk that he gave earlier at Mockingbird was equally uh, fascinating. And uh, like I said, I hope this is something that um, if you missed this year, that you will uh, that you will be sure to catch next year. Any other uh, questions or comments, um, please refer them to olmstedsalon.com. And thank you for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.